Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Holding pocket. It's time now for the Chipping Forecast, issued by Folding Pocket on behalf of Andrew Cotter, Eddie Pepperell and special guest Ian Carter. Well, remember when we joked about John Ram's NR at Queenwood? Here we are. He's NR'd again. He's off to no return. He's gone. Uh, hello, welcome to the Chipping Forecast. I'm Andrew Carter. Uh, emergency Chipping Forecast. <laughs> Sound the klaxon. Ian Carter is here. Ian, are you frantically updating your book on on live golf? Epilogue. Well, the, 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 yeah, there is an epilogue. There is a gap for an epilogue, and uh, and this might just be it. I think uh, this is this is huge, isn't it? It's uh, it's going to have a massive, massive bearing, I think, on the negotiations that are going on now, and it's just going to colour the state of men's professional golf going forward for the next weeks and months and however long it takes to sort the whole thing out. But, uh, you know, we, we, we all had a, a, an inkling, didn't we? A, a couple of weeks ago, Eddie's just off the, the plane from, from Australia and, and now it's come to fruition and, and Ram has gone to live. Uh, how was your, how, how are you? How are you doing, Eddie? How are you? I'm fine. A bit tired, obviously, because I've been traveling for about 30, well, best part of 30 hours now, nonstop. So, um, I'm a bit tired, so forgive me if I make any uh, mistakes, or indeed I might actually make sense for the first time in a while. But uh, yeah, my my feelings are actually that my uh, my my frustration and I think that came out a couple of weeks ago in the podcast that's kind of that's gone away because I heard the rumours and that and that just made me frustrated and disappointed two weeks ago. I'm kind of beyond and over that now, but um, yeah, nonetheless, the news is still somewhat shocking, I suppose, and and disappointing. Yeah, it's difficult. I, I don't know. I mean, it sounds we're you know solemn intonation and oh my goodness, emergency podcast. I mean, but it is a very very big thing in the world of golf. I've got to remember that the world of golf is actually very small. Come the world, but my feeling is, and and you know, I was, I was wandering around in the rain, walking the dogs, trying to sort of get together my thoughts, and I couldn't. And the ultimate feeling was just one of um, a sort of a sort of sadness. Then I had a chocolate clear from Morrison's, which helped a little bit, but only briefly. And I'm still I'm still sad. About it. I, I was sad when I saw the news. Not because a golfer has gone from one tour to another. Like, golf doesn't really matter. That certainly doesn't matter. It's just that it kind of shows, it shows up very clearly a bigger thing about the human condition, about human weaknesses. It's a sort of wanton greed that has come into golf. And it, 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 it the money now just, well, money everywhere, I suppose, just seems to be able to make people do and say whatever it wants. Money wins. And John Ram, just let me... Um, 
I mean, a lot of people have seen these quotes, what, eight months ago. So John Ram says, yeah, money's great. But when Kelly and I, that's his wife, when this first, you know, what happened, this thing, he said, we started talking about it and we were like, will our lifestyle change if I got $400 million? No, it will not change one bit. Truth be told, I could retire right now with what I've made and live a very happy life and not play golf again. So I've never really played the game of golf for monetary reasons. I play for the love of the game. I've always been interested in history and legacy. And then in August, he told a Spanish podcast, I laugh when people rumour me with live golf. I never liked the format, but money wins in the end, doesn't it, Ian? Well, it does. And I think that something fundamentally changed with the the June the 6th announcement of the potential deal between the PGA and DP World Tours and the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. And I was in that news conference in Los Angeles with John Rahm the day after or two days after that that news broke. And he spoke of betrayal then. And this was someone who'd spoken about the fealty that he had to the PGA Tour and its history, and that's where he wanted to play his golf and all those quotes that you've, you've put out there, Andrew. Um, but I think that once that, because it was done in secret with no consultation with the players and there was so much anger amongst the players, and John Rahm, you know, had won the Masters. He was... He is, you know, one of the biggest figures in the game. And I suspect that that sense of loyalty that, that he felt then largely evaporated and it made him vulnerable to an approach. And now they've come up with a number that he couldn't say no to. And that's why he's gone. And I also have this feeling that because there is potentially a deal still on the table and he knows how big he is and he can be a tipping point kind of character that he's probably banking on something happening that will allow him to come back at the very least to be able to play in the Ryder Cup. And let's just put in into its proper context the Ryder Cup situation. He remains a member, as it stands, of the DP World Tour. So he remains eligible for the European Ryder Cup team. Now, when it gets to the point, as I understand it, that he'd start to be fined for playing in live events when they're up against DP World Tour events... Well, that has been the tipping point for all the other characters, the likes of Westwood and Poulter and Garcia, to then say, well, I'm not having any part of that. I'm resigning from the tour. And until he resigns from the tour, he is eligible for the Ryder Cup. But he's acknowledged that that is a a big question mark going forward as well. But he's such a big personality. And we've heard McElroy saying today that he will be in the Ryder Cup team. They'll just have to change the rules, even if he does leave the European tour. So he's it's just massive because he is such a huge figure in the game, the reigning Masters champion. I know Cam Smith was the Open champion when he went, but this feels bigger. I don't know what you think, Eddie. Yeah, I agree. This does feel like the biggest signing yet. I think on the European Tour side of things, DP will tour what they're going to do. I'm not too sure. You know, there's, there's a, I suppose, a possibility that any sort of agreement could could come with um, a different kind of set of sanctions for a player like John moving forward where... You know, new rules and sanctions would apply to John and the retrospective sanctions that are still in place for the likes of Lee West would remain in place. And, and that could remain a kind of a differentiation that could could be made. But that's just me speculating on that front. I I am in agreement with what Rory said already, the Ryder Cup. You know, you can't not have John Rahm being a part of the Ryder Cup team uh, for Europe. He is he's a stalwart and he's going to continue to be. And um, so, yeah, things are going to have to maybe change there. 
But uh, reputationally, this is the biggest the biggest move so far, and you kind of wonder and worry a little bit as well as to what might follow, who might follow in this vacuum. That being said, this is such a large amount of money to be throwing at one player. I mean, I think the irony with what's happened with Liv in the last 18 months is the prices haven't gone down to persuade players to go across. They're still going up. So, I mean, that in and of itself is a reflection of the relative failure that Liv is. In that they can't, they're not getting players across for 10 million. They still need to pay someone like John Ryan half a billion dollars, let's say. Um, so I still think if players like, you know, and I'm spitballing names and this is speculation, but guys like Patrick Cantley or Tony, Tony Finau, you know, they themselves are, are going to be working off that figure and being able to kind of command quite large sums. And I'm still not sure what that Liver are going to be willing and able to throw around hundreds and hundreds of millions again. I mentioned Patrick Cantley. He sort of manoeuvred himself into a position of, uh, of 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 some real power. As uh, he he's like the little finger in Game of Thrones. He just gets in there, and suddenly he is apparently along with Jordan Spieth and Tiger Woods. You know, in terms of the the pack, uh, was it the Players Advisory Council? The players now have such real power. It's it's a stinging indictment. What's happened of the governance of the PGA Tour over the last few months? I think because they uh, had potential to. Uh, not neutral. You were never going to neutralize the money coming into the game. But in terms of, I just think the way they have handled things in trying to keep up in this money arms race. And as you were talking about, Ian, this is probably one of the reasons, well, one of the reasons along with 450 million others that John Ram has gone. But they could have worked so much better in keeping those players who'd expressed fealty to the tour and they have messed it up big time. And so into that sort of uh, that power vacuum in the PGA Tour stride, the players who are moving around and Patrick Cantley making his moves. And it just, it's fascinating to watch the power moves being made. Golf is not about watching the shots anymore. It's just about watching, right, who's moving where next? And who's, and I, when I say who's moving where next, it's who's moving into positions to say, hey, I can do this. I can, I can have this power here because it's, it's about, it's all about money, but it's also all about a sort of power play by everybody. Again, let's put this into context because Patrick Cantley is on the board. He's on the board of the PGA Tour, as is Jordan Spieth, who's replaced Rory McIlroy, and as is Tiger Woods. And there are more players on that board than there are officials. So it's the players who hold the balance of power here. And I can't help feeling, and McIlroy just said, look, he left because of so many different commitments in, in his life at, at, at the moment. But I can't help feeling that McElroy, McElroy's voice was being swallowed up Especially by having Tiger Woods on on there and and Spieth, uh, well, Spieth's obviously come on and Cantlay being there, and we know that McElroy doesn't get on with with Cantlay. That that became clear just a couple of weeks ago, didn't it? So I I, I get the feeling that McElroy and everything that he's saying at the moment is that he wants the game to come together. He, you know, admit defeat. Saudi Arabia have to be part of it. Let's bring it all together. And I'm not so sure that that is the feeling that a Cantlay, a Spieth or a Woods has. And McElroy was clearly in a position where he's thinking, well, I'm not going to get my way here, so I might as well go. I don't know. That's That may be you know, putting two and two together and coming up with 450 million. No, I would agree with you on that. But I think there is a... There is still the, the practical nature of this. How How is it workable? You know, this is always, again, we're back to square one. The, the argument that's always existed from the get-go is how... Do we get three tours, but certainly two major tours, you know, effectively satisfied uh, for their commercial partners and the players? You know, how do you marry it all up and make it work? And that's the puzzle that I think is just unsolvable at this point. 
And uh, and I know people just, it's easy to say the PGA Tour needed to do more and do this, but at the end of the day, you've just, you've got a sovereign wealth fund who have just decided to pay one individual more money than the PGA Tour have played for in a whole year. I mean, I'm sorry, I, I would I would make the other argument that I'm not sure how good the leadership needed to be to kind of circumvent that or to get around that. When you've got this kind of money being thrown around, it's... I don't know what sort of governance would have needed to be in place. Now, that being said, I'm not saying that something better couldn't have been done in the very early days. And and then again, in an ideal world, from my perspective, Liv would have looked something more like the new world golf championships, but it wouldn't have been 14 events. It would have been six events and they themselves have decided to take it to 14. So, you know, there's so much going on, um, but but yeah, to, to take them on head on money, money wise was was probably never never going to work. That's the point as well, and that what he is going to, and what we have seen from what we have watched, and from what you see everywhere. You know, I'm not a dedicated live golf watcher, but I, I'm very well aware of what the product is, and the the product is terrible. It's terrible. It's terribly put together. It's a terrible idea. It's terribly marketed. It's like they've taken a clean slate for golf, and they've said let's re- let's redesign, let's redesign, renovate golf, but we're going to give the project to a six year old child, not even a gifted six-year-old child, someone whose parents put pictures up in the fridge just out of a sense of duty. Not a, this is not Sergio. A, maybe Sergio did to come up with all the ideas. So when John Ram goes off to play, so he's just thinking majors. He's doing a Brooks Koepka and thinking majors. I'm able to play in the majors. And as Ian said, I'll probably be able to come back in, in, in the end anyway. And everything will, everything will come together in some distant point in the future. And I'll have all this money anyway. So, but the product that he is going to be playing in for now is utter rubbish. It's just, we nobody, I mean, some people say they do care about it and perhaps it does appeal more to the kids. But, you know, when you're coming up with the the, the nodules against the spatula, I don't know, whatever, whatever it might be, the giblets, uh, the Bosch, the Bosch, Team Bosch, I, you know, and he's saying he loves team golf. He's just played in the greatest team golf event of all time. Now that's great team golf, but going to play in, in Liv's team golf product and stressing that, I mean, I just actually, let's just play. Here's uh, here's a bit of John Ram talking. We play, I gave his quotes at the start of the podcast, you know, from a few months ago, talking about how he felt at the time. Well, this is him talking to David Ferti, who is, of course, Liv's chief golf commentator. And this is an interview given to Liv Golf, and it, it's certainly worth having a listen to it. I think the innovation and, and the vision of Liv Golf is what pushed me over to at least give it a chance and, and hear it the pitch out and uh, ultimately ended up being what uh, I guess I wanted to hear, right? Uh, I believe in the growth of the game of golf. Uh, I've largely spoken about how Sevi improved the game of golf in Spain and I've always said how I would like to do the same thing over there. And if I can reach a bigger audience, it would be amazing. And uh, I do believe this process will help me do that. Even though it's not part of this sport, um, it is now though it was a team aspect of things, Yeah. right? Some of the biggest sporting events for the most part people are following their teams and I myself growing up being a, a massive athletic Bilbao fan uh, I realized that you know that has a bit of an appeal right much more than than I give it credit to even in golf I mean what what a lot of garbage what a, I mean and, and we have lots of correspondence on this and people I think what annoys people most of all is is that people don't just say, you know, he mentioned in passing that, of course, money played a part in it, but then goes on to, but I suppose they they have to say, as all the golfers have said, we've gone to live, pretty much all of them have said, you know, it's about growing the game. What a lot of absolute rubbish. And I think that's what irks people about it, because 
you're saying I I want to to grow the game. I want to get more eyes on golf. You're not going to the eyes aren't on this golf. And but although again, you know, when he he talked to um, you know Fox, I wonder if that's a precursor to a, a a television deal in future that you know more people will be able to watch live golf because you know Ram could be a tipping point, Ian, couldn't he? Yeah, I think I think that is the significant thing here that he is a big enough figure to be a tipping point here. I'd push back on some of the things that you've you've said there, Andrew. I mean, it's it, I, I've struggled to you know I've tried to watch it, and at times I've found it deeply boring, and at other times I've found it quite interesting. And I did go to the the first team championship at the end, and when it came down to Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson at the end. It was, it was, it was interesting, and it was worth watching. But I still, like you, struggle to to see how people become aligned to teams. Why, why would I support the four aces or the majestics or whoever that might be? But uh, maybe some fans will do that. Maybe some young people will. And I did. I spoke to a lot of fans in Miami at the at the, the that season ender at the end of their first season, and they were into it. So I can't. I'm not as vehemently opposed to the format and and the concept of live as you were in the way that you ex- expressed it but I do have my own reservations on it and my biggest fear about it is that it's that who cares thing who who when when they play you, you need to care about someone winning you know we've talked about the Australian Open last last week and that would have meant tons to Minwoo Lee if he could have gone back to back and you know for Dean Burnmister who is a live player winning the South African Open that meant a lot that was that was sport whereas winning a live event just makes a rich person even richer and and where is the glory that that goes with that and somehow they have to harness that but then again you potentially now if you look at it now who are the five best golfers in the world? And I would say they're Scotty Scheffler, they're Rory McIlroy, they are John Rahm, they're Cameron Smith. And I knew when I started this list, I wouldn't be able to complete it. <laughs> Who's the fifth one that I've missed there? Eddie um, Pebble. No. Um, and Ernie, Ernie Pebble. I think you're thinking of Brooks Koepka, possibly. Brooks, Brooks Koepka. So Brooks Koepka, yeah. So Brooks Koepka. So that means of the five best golfers on the planet right now, Three of them are playing live. Now that gives live meaning, because if they start going head to head with each other, while the players' championship is going on without John Rahm, without Brooks Kepka, without Cam Smith, then the the players' championship isn't what it was. It gives the majors meaning certainly, but it does it does detract from something like the players. But I think when the majors, when everybody comes together, then it gives them even something more. Those those four tournaments. Well, I say when everybody comes together, when everybody can get in in the world golf ranking. And there's another thing: the world golf ranking is that going to have to is that going to have to change? So uh, again, we talk about tipping points, and I think they have purchased Ram because they realise he will change change things in terms of perhaps the world golf ranking. And who else might who else might follow? But you know, however annoyed I am with Ram, and again, I knew I would be sort of rambling in quite an angry fashion once the chocolate clear sugar rush fell away. But I'm not really angry with. Um, I mean, yes, yeah, fine. He's he he said he wouldn't go for money, and he wasn't about the money, and he's gone for money. He's gone for an enormous pile of cash, four hundred fifty million. We're told something like that. I'm far more annoyed with the people who pay this money, the people who distort the world so much that they're they're offering that level of money to a golfer, all to what end? In some sort of in some power play. 
and he will go off to live and perhaps disappear into a bit of a void, but, or perhaps it'll become more popular. But it just really bothers me that the people with this wealth uh, uh, treat that privilege of wealth so flippantly. The power of what they could do with the finances at their disposal, rather than put it into the pocket of a guy who hits a good lob wedge. So doing it just because they can to say, here we are, look at us and look at what we can do. And dollars are just grains of sand to us. They don't mean anything. Whereas actually to the rest of the world and to 99.9% of the world, you know, it, it, there's a there's a struggle for, for money or to live comfortably. And it just, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to be ranting about the wider significance of all of this, but I think that's what people do look at it and look at, this is just grotesque nonsense. Is this what, is this what golf is now? And of course, golf isn't that to most of us, but when the shop window, when the top level of elite pro men's golf is like that now, you think, oh, I just, no, golf, golf has, a, has, has a, an image problem as a result. Well, to that point, I mean, not only is the, you know, the sports washing is so complete to the point where we are criticising the PGA Tour, and all of this kind of everything's been sports distorted in, in terms of who are ready and willing to criticize it would seem um and and again in terms of the long-term sustainability of it all i still i still feel like my and this could be naive but i just still believe that this is a short-term thing that this isn't going to persist through time i mean i assume this contract is maybe two three four years long i mean what happens at that what happens at that point what happens at the point where all of these guys contracts are up and that and that brings me on and and you mentioned the australian open i tweeted this this morning i think the time has come now for the pga tour and the dp World tour but mostly the pga tour to have to look at themselves honestly in the mirror and try to create a product that is quite different to what's on offer and and it has to now look globally outside the the boundaries of the united states because there is such an opportunity and even in spite of the fact that we haven't got, you know, Kepka and Cam Smith and John Rahm playing, having been in Australia last week and having seen the amount of people that turned up to watch, okay, some of the big Australian players, but also a large of, you know, a group of relatively average golfers. If you if you get some very good players going down there, you're just going to have the most amazing tournaments. And and I'm certain that there is appetite all across the world for that. So if if it were me, you know, the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour now, I really believe need to think about coming together fully and consolidating and, and coming up with something quite different because in the next two to three years, even though they're not going to have John Rahm being a part of it, they're going to be able to put into place something that could hopefully grow into to something special so that in three or four years' time, when John's contract is up, he might decide, well, actually, that's where I want to be playing instead of live. But for that to happen, Eddie, that is going to take a complete and utter about turn, a Ram-like about turn from the PGA Tour. Because if you look at what happened in that Delaware meeting, which was where they Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods called everyone together, Wakim Neiman was in that meeting, he subsequently went to live, now Ram has gone. But what he they did there was come up with the idea of getting PGA Tour players to play against each other more regularly at what they're now calling signature events. And they're all in America. And everything about that was so American-centric. And there's you know no desire to say, right, okay, we've got that joint-sanctioned Scottish Open, make that a signature event. They could have done that. They didn't. Everything was about America, America, America. And they're going in on themselves all the time at the moment. And they've created a scenario where Rory McIlroy has walked away from the board. So all of those board members are Americans. And so many of those members of the PGA Tour, they don't know where their passports are because they just can have the cushiest life 
imaginable in sporting terms, earning big money and not having to leave their own country. And I think, Eddie, you're 100% right. We need a global tour. And the only way that is going to happen is if, if Liv and the Saudi PIF come together with the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. Because uh, well, I'm not sure, and I'm not even sure that is true, and, I've, and I'm actually less convinced that's going to happen after this. I actually don't. I think the chances are now. I think it's less likely that there's going to be an agreement post this than, than there was, you know, before this announcement. And I still think, Ian, you know, that the international players that have gone to live have been the the real shame in all of this. Not the Dustin Johnsons, the Patrick Reeds, and the Deshambos and the Mickelsons. I mean, that they were all largely pre- predictable, and whether they were outsiders or just old and frankly fed up with the game. It's the big European and international stars that's the real crying shame. And, and when you hear about John wanting to start a legacy in Spain, you know, the game of professional golf needs to give John, outside of Liv, that opportunity. And likewise, Wacky Neiman, likewise, the South American and, you know, um, the guys that aren't from North America, the way the, the way they've gone. So um, I still think there's an opportunity outside of Liv and Piff to, to create something, but you know, again, to your point, I'm not optimistic it's going to happen. I really think that now's the time for Jay Monaghan to go in and all of those guys and say, listen, if we don't look at doing something like this, then we don't know what you're going to, we don't know what your opportunities are going to look like in three to five years time and, and, uh, and give them that ultimatum. Because what happens to television contracts now? Where, you know, the, the, yeah. you know, NBC and CBS are paying fortunes to the, to the tour in the expectation that they're seeing the likes of John Rahm and Cam Smith and Bryson DeChambeau, and they're not. What happens there? But equally, the other side of that is nobody's paying to watch those guys. I mean, no one's paying up for a TV contract to even watch, the, you know, to, to, to cover those guys playing. And this is the other thing. I mean, it does show that golf is such a niche sport. Again, I mean, it's crazy what we're getting to. I mean, John's chosen to that. He's going to have very far fewer eyeballs on him on live than he, than he has had. I mean, it's 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 fascinating. I mean, it's given us something to talk about in golf in the quieter season. But if we're honest, it's more interesting than than this this whole detached observation. And actually, when people are hearing about it in the sports bulletins and people who are not into into golf are actually going, what what's going on with the lands, landscape in golf? Where is it? Where is it going? A couple of people asked me um, on Twitter. I said, where where do you think it's going to end up in terms of? And I we don't we don't know, but it but it's. It's fascinating just observing from that detached viewpoint. Forget about golf, just watching, I don't know, watching the wider the wider plays and the wider sort of study of study of humans and what they'll do for it's it's fascinating. I just think it's becoming we they become it becomes more and more detached from what we know as golf. And I don't want I want to be talking about, you know, on the podcast about the fun things about golf, about the day-to-day stuff that we all do in golf, you hitting a couple of pitches to 10 feet and saying, that's a gimme, and it's up and down. <laughs> and, that's about it. And, but, you know, I also want people watching golf to empathise or feel or be invested in their heroes that they see playing golf. And I think more and more they're looking at them and just saying, oh, these are cash machines. These aren't people that I can really identify with. So I, that's what, what makes me sad about it all. Yeah, but if you think back to the Masters when John Rahm won and he beat Brooks Kepka, you you had a narrative there of the the good guy against the bad guy, if 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 you like, in that Rahm was the establishment and and uh, Kepka was the 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 breakaway guy, and and that's that's all gone now. It's I, I, the, the other story, by the way, that 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 I think is really significant and I think piles massive pressure on Monaghan and Co 
I don't know if you saw the Sports Illustrated story I put in the group. So, so the the Saudi PIF had, uh, uh, according to this Sports Illustrated story, put up a billion dollars as a compensation package to for PGA Tour players who didn't go to live. Yeah, I think they called it the what do they call it the Equalization Fund. Well, on that, Ian, this is why this is why I don't think there's now going to be an agreement because that one billion now for Patrick and Rory and all these guys to feel made whole, quote unquote, that's now got to be worth two, three billion. If you're going to give John five hundred million dollars or there or thereabouts, you know, that figure of a billion needs to become three and it isn't going to become three. From Piff's perspective, it should be half of that from the negotiating ta- negotiation tactics, you know, perspective. So yeah, I mean, and back to Andrew's point about the Saudi, you know, the role in all of the money, you know, I just think again, in the long term, like all markets, at some point, price has to reflect the underlying fundamentals. And right now in golf, it is way, way out of whack. The four majors are going to continue to hold value. And actually, they're going to be the only four tournaments that are going to benefit from all of this. And I think that's going to be the the truth for the foreseeable future. And in that period of time, I think the, the relative value of whether it's the PJ Tour, Live, and of course, the DP World Tour, they're all going to fall in value in terms of the product that's on offer. And there will over time, as we just, I personally believe that's going to, that will be reflected in these crazy sums that are being thrown around and it will fall uh, and it will settle down. I'm sure of that, but um, you know how, it, and that's why I think there is an opportunity to use this for the next two or three years to create something a bit more. Maybe I'm in fairy land and I'm probably naive and that's what Jen would call me. But going back to that equalization fund, that that would have been money that potentially could have gone to you, Eddie, as a DP World Tour player. I think there were arguments over whether the vast majority of that money should go to the big stars who turned down the big contracts and said, no, I'll stay at the PGA Tour. Or was it for everybody who remained loyal, regardless of their, you know, where they stood in the pecking order? And that, to me, when when wind of that is is felt by the playing memberships of in America and in on the European tour, that's going to put massive pressure on the the leadership of those tours, isn't it? Well, yeah, you would you would think so, but I mean, again, how it was going to be distributed, I don't know. I, I still look at the pip. I, I still think a lot of it would just have been distributed into the hands of of the top guys to keep them on side, frankly. Um, and when, especially when you look at the amount of money that the PJ Tour are, you know, funneling down to the DP World Tour, it's difficult to imagine that we would have, you know, seen a huge amount of it. If I'm, I'm I would have been surprised, Ian. But again, you know, these are, a lot of these are hypotheticals anyway, and and we don't really know what's gone on behind the scenes with these negotiations, and we could speculate. Yeah, I am still left thinking that there's there's less likely going to be an agreement now. I mean, I think that there's the point we've reached. If that uh, report in Sports Illustrated was true, the $1 billion equalization compensation fund, compensation to golfers for for doing nothing, for just staying, for staying in a multi-million dollar tour with chance to win multi-million dollar prizes. There we are, compensation for that, the poor... Anyway, it, it makes your head spin. And just just say there are people there are people that turn down money. I mean, Tiger has turned down a huge offer. Rory's probably well, maybe maybe hasn't been offered. But let's just talk about Tiger. I mean, it's not as though there isn't you know this notion that everyone has a price. I, it really bothers me, and that's where golf and society actually has degraded itself to the point where because it's become so about money in this world. And and I just think that we've forgotten that some people actually have genuine principles and would make a decision that they believe is better for themselves or even their bloody family. I mean, do we really think the Saudis give a shit about live players' family? I'm not even sure MBS gives a shit about his own family. He cares about power and he'll do anything he can to keep that power. So I, for the idea that you know this family notion that's going around as well, it's 
I just think the whole thing, you know, let's get, there are some people out there with decent principles. I'd like to say that to finish. Of course there are. Of course there are. Of course there are. And uh, yeah, um, um, I mean, we we can't forget that people have a downer on golf at the moment. It's nothing. To, it's nothing to do with golf, the wider sport. Ian, we've got to stress that you'll be out hitting some balls, and I'll be out hitting some balls later today with the dogs. And yeah, eight eight oh eight tomorrow morning, and you know it, it'll still be the same. Still yeah. be the same rubbish. <laughs> be- there you are. There, and you'll pop up in your glossy black bomber jacket with live written large across it, signing a contract, shaking Greg's hand. Greg's rich. John's rich. Everybody's richer than rich, so everything must be great. So anyway, I played our club championship last year with a live. Bo- live embossed golf ball actually which I got as a freebie when I went to Centurion oh they bought you oh I see they bought me <laughs> I wondered why you were being quite positive on it and pushing back yeah. a bit I didn't make I didn't make the cut and um, I was surprised there was a cut really <laughs> Anyway, right, we've got to wrap this up, but there we are. Uh, oh, bifurcation. We didn't talk about bifurcation as an emergency pod. Who cares? That I'll tell you what, that's buried that. Uh, it should have been well, buried. We, 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 kind, we, we, did anyway. we kind of did it, it in listen, the last episode, didn't we? It should have been buried anyway. Who cares about five yards in, in five years' time? Who cares? Who cares? Victor de Buisson, just very quickly uh, retiring. Victor de Buisson retired. What a talent he was. And he's he's stepping aside. I think he's stressed to keep that it was the, the sort of loneliness of, of life on tour. So there's a... I don't know, I find that, that quite a sad story as well, isn't it? A very interesting character, Eddie. Yeah, and one of the most talented golfers I've ever seen or played with um, and some brilliant stories throughout the years. One of my favourites was in uh, China at the BMW Masters where he he uh, was into his gaming and he didn't like the TV that he had in his room, but he loved the TV from the Players' Lounge and he demanded that the promoters switched it across so he got the two big TVs from the Players' Lounge put into his t- into his room so he could game all night. So um, that's the kind of character he is. But uh, yeah. imagine the demands John Ram could make the TV he could have. Yeah. He used to if he if he couldn't be bothered to wait for his clubs at, at airports, he'd just he'd just go off and just leave them there and just get another set made up. Is that true? Yeah, I, I did hear once that he was travelling to the airport in Monaco and the traffic was so bad that he just turned around and pulled out of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> it's like John Ram airing at Queenwood. Can't be bothered. Andrew in a park run. Can't be bothered. Uh, any final final thoughts, Ian? Or just oh, let's just move on golf. Golf's still a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I just think the next couple of weeks are going to be really interesting. Tiger Woods has talked up the December 31 deadline. Uh, they've, they've got to sort something out. I think we're headed to a global tour. That's that's the, that's the that's what it'll be in the end. And we're yeah. going through all these sort of painful throws at the moment. And, you know, I had one thought. I thought for the first time I was thinking... Mm, I might have to look at what the live schedule is in terms of what my schedule is next year. Maybe go to a couple, but I don't know. We'll see. It's um, God, it's, it's what a time. It's 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 just it, it is fascinating. It's a, a whole thing. And but going back to to Eddie's point, the one thing when this first started, and I remember being around Rory McIlroy, and someone asked him, "What do you think about all this new stuff from Saudi Arabia?" And he said, "I don't like where the money's coming from." And in all of this, the whole moral aspect has just evaporated it's been, away. It's been forgotten. In exactly the same way as Newcastle United, same yeah. thing. Um, that's that's all gone away. But I do, and I agree with Eddie wholeheartedly, I hate that assumption that if you're offered a, enough money, you will go and park your principles. I yeah. don't think that applies to everybody, but it's certainly... For a lot of golfers, or for the, the golfers that have gone, and now John Rahm, there there has been a price. Yeah, right. I'll end with a, a couple of quotes for you here. 
Money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. Benjamin Franklin. Seneca, Roman philosopher. It's not the man who has too little, but the man who craves more that is poor. Here's the last one. I'm going to buy a country. John Ram said that. Anyway, we'll speak again in a few days. Keep golfing, everyone. But I do want a new car. <laughs> and that completes this edition of The Chipping Forecast. Wishing you a safe and pleasant night. Folding pocket.